Good morning. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 18. I don't have any PowerPoint today. My figuring is this is the most this is the point of power today. Oh, oh. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. And uh, please read along with me. Um, if someone beside you doesn't have their Bible, share with them. That's a good thing to do. My conviction is, is that I want everybody here to see that what I'm talking about is in the Bible and not, I'm not just making this up. Because today's lesson is very critical. Verse 18, Luke 9. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. You know, one of the questions we have to ask is why is this... Why, why did Matthew see fit to put this in the Bible? You know, when the Holy Spirit inspired him, why is this story there? Not just so that we can be informed about what the apostles thought or what they were going to say. Because it changes us, right? It's there so that it can inform us and it can change us. And the, the name of the lesson is today, for those who like lesson titles, <laughs> Who Do I Say That Jesus Is? And, you know, have you ever noticed when you're out there talking, everybody has an opinion about who Jesus is? But in the end, the only opinion that's going to matter is your opinion of who Jesus is to you. Right? I think that's what Jesus was getting at. Now, when Jesus asked this question, they started, they went all through. There was a whole bunch of people. There were as many opinions in those days about who Jesus was as there is today. Well, he's John the Baptist, the wild man out in the wilderness, preaching crazy stuff. Well, maybe he's Elijah, that prophet of old who was preaching to Israel. But what does it have to do with us today? Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's one of the other prophets. You're, pick your favorite prophet. Maybe it's him. You know, maybe it's the one. Uh, it could be anything. Let's just put it there. But Peter answers, the Christ of God, the Messiah of God. 
You know, Jesus doesn't say, you almost got it right. He doesn't say, no, that's not right. Jesus acknowledges by the very fact, he says, don't tell anybody else that. But he basically is saying, that's who I am. Now, we have to understand to the Jews what the Messiah was. The Messiah was not just a person, okay? The Messiah was a promise. The Messiah was one in whom they had put their hope. They were waiting for it. I think one of the, you know, you'll hear me talking about this, but if you, if you watch The Chosen, and I encourage you to do that, it really, really, really illuminates this idea of how eager the Jews were for the Messiah to come. They didn't, always, they didn't all want to believe that Jesus was him, but every to a man, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. It was their hope. It was their liberation. It was the one who was going to redeem Israel, the redeemer of Israel. I think a lot of people don't know what being redeemed means. You know, you buy a, you buy a Coke and it has a five cents deposit. You pay your five cents deposit. You don't think too much about it. But if you want your five cents back, what do you do? You have to redeem the bottle. Right? You go to redemption center. It's the same word. And what happened was we were sold into the slavery of sin. We bought into Satan's lies. And we got trapped by Satan. And Satan comes forth and he offers a ransom. He says, the only thing that will allow this person to come back is your death. And Jesus said, okay. And he died. And in doing that, he redeemed us, right? Now, what the Jews were waiting for is they wanted redemption. They were waiting for the redemption of Israel, which to them at that time meant he's going to get us out of trouble with the Romans. He's going to drive the Romans out. He's going to give us a, a homeland of our own. He's going to restore the glory of David's kingdom. And we're going to be a great nation again because we're going to be bought back from the slavery to all of our neighbors. You know, the question, though, is if we take this idea that this was written for me today, the question, of course, is who do I say Jesus is? And the question that I have to wrestle with every day, is this the one in whom I put my hope? Is this the one who's going to rescue me or continues to rescue me from the slavery of my own sin? Is this the one who will redeem me? Is this the one who is paying the ransom so that I can be free when I really should remain in slavery, right? That I was captive to sin and yet set free. And this is great news. That's why the gospel is what it is. It's great news. Because there's no other way for this to happen, right? Satan's a powerful guy. Satan's not just some little red demon sitting on my shoulder. He's got control of this whole world. That's what the Bible teaches. And we are given an opportunity to escape the world. Now... It would be very convenient if Jesus had stopped, if this text just stopped there. We say, awesome, <laughs> the Redeemer of Israel. But Jesus couldn't stop there. And the point of today's lesson, I think, is Jesus didn't stop there because for him to stop there would be disingenuous with the truth. He had to pursue the truth of who he was all the way to the end. And so he says, look, you've got to understand something, guys. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed to be raised on the third day. That's part of the truth of Jesus, right? Not only being the Redeemer, but what he's going to have to go through. Just to make it perfectly clear, he says. And then he says, are you going, the question is, are you going to follow me? 
Are you going to follow me along this path? Can I get this mixed up? I separate my pages. There we go. And the question, of course, he's asking us is, if we're going to be like him, right? This is what being a Christian is. It's buying into the idea that we're trying to be like Christ in the end. Now, we know that we fall short every day. And we know we're under God's grace. But still, that driving question is always before us is, am I trying to be like Christ? Am I facing the fact that I'll be rejected by others? We don't like, I don't like being rejected by other people. I don't think Jesus did either. But Jesus knew the truth of what it would take to be the Savior of Israel. Um, we know that we're going to be persecuted. Jesus was persecuted, and he's saying, basically, if you're going to be like me, you're going to be persecuted. In Matthew 24, where he's talking, you know, the woes and so forth, he says, at one point, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and hated by everyone. He told his disciples that. This should be no surprise that, we, that, we, that we're not going to be popular with the world if we start to expound on the truth of Jesus. Yeah. That we don't stop short at just saying, oh, it's awesome. He's the redeemer of the world. He's going to solve all my problems. He's going to save everything. Because it's going to take, on our part, buying into his way of life. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, at the end of chapter 7, at the end, at the end of the Beatitudes, rather, in chapter 5, Jesus basically says that all the other blessings and the Beatitudes and the promises for me that you will be persecuted if you're righteous. That's part of the Beatitudes. All the other Beatitudes, awesome, you know? Yeah. But then it gets to the end, and by the way, you'll get persecuted for this, for being like this. And Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, anyone who wants to live in godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, the, the wonderful Messiah doesn't seem so appealing anymore. We'll talk about this a little bit more. This is a question that I wrestle with all the time. You know, the question is today, who do I think Jesus is? Is he a wild man in the desert that has some really radical ideas and that really radical people will follow him, but the rest of the world's not quite ready? Is he a prophet who was persecuted long ago when we can read the story about Elijah and what he went through? Is he a loving man who never confronts the world on its sin? Is he a person who just accepts everyone for who they are and hopes they'll join the church? Is he a taskmaster who is looking over my shoulder and making me feel guilty for everything that I do wrong? Who is Jesus to me? And this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching, but for, as I said before, to back off from these hard teachings would not be genuine with the truth. Yeah. And that's what we're dealing with, right? Absolutely. Now, I think it's important. Today's lesson is not about Fred's opinion. And that's why we want you to look at the scriptures, right? So look over in John chapter 9. In John chapter, uh, John chapter 6, I'm sorry. John chapter 6, Jesus, for the first time in John, has really, become to, has really come to uh, begin speaking sort of things that are a little bit hard. He's been going around and healing people, 
And he's been, his disciples sort of figured out who he is and they're starting to talk about the Savior of the world and the coming of the kingdom and all these things. But when he finally gets down to start talking about some of these brass tacks, the hard stuff, it says in verse 60, on hearing it, many of disciples of his disciples, this is not just the crowd of random people who weren't going to like Jesus anyways. These were people who were following him around the country, right? Uh, ganging up thousands of people at a time listening to his sermons. His disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Can we accept this? Who is going to accept this hard teaching? And, uh, you know, Jesus was aware that they were grumbling. Now, his disciples were grumbling. Let's not grumble, okay? <laughs> a lot of warnings in the scripture about grumbling. Let's try to refrain from that. But he says, Jesus was aware that they were discipling, and he says, does this offend you? He goes right to the throat. He goes right to the heart with this one. Is this offensive? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they're life. Yet there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. These were people who had been following him. They, they liked what he was seeing. They liked what they were seeing. They liked what he was teaching. And when he got down to where the hard teaching was, they said, okay, I'm out. Time, I'm going to go find someone else. I'm going to go back to my whatever I was doing, right? Now, Jesus, a lot of us, if we had a big following and we saw people starting to walk out the door, we'd go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you didn't understand me. Let, me. let me back up and make it a little clearer. Maybe make it a little softer. Let me make it a little bit more loving, right? What Jesus does is he turns to his disciples. He turns to the faithful. He turns to the 12. He says, hey, do you want to leave also? He asks the 12. You know, he doesn't, he's not daunted by people who don't want to follow him because he knows he has the truth. He says if people don't want to follow her, they're not rejecting him. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting the truth. Yes, they're rejecting him, but ultimately they're not following him because the teaching is hard and that Jesus is teaching the things that are essential to make it worthwhile. Well, Simon thinks for a second and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, at some point, I have to continually reinforce myself, regardless of the teaching, regardless of people who are walking away, regardless of people who don't want to listen, that Jesus still is the one who knows the way. He has the path. And I like to envision it like this. You know, Jesus is kind of walking through a marsh, a, a, a swamp, where at any point, if you get off the trail, you can get stuck. You can, get, you can sink in the quicksand and in the muck. You can get lost, and it's hard to find your way through. And Jesus is the only one who knows the path through the marsh. And so the only hope of me getting through the marsh successfully, without losing my life to some alligator or something like that, is to stick with Jesus. 
That's what Peter was saying, is you're the only one who knows the path through. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? You're the only one who knows. And you know, I've, I've come to this conclusion about that. I can only stay with Jesus if I am willing to stick to these hard teachings. I can't back off. Because to be like Jesus means I have to teach like Jesus. It means I have to live the hard teachings like Jesus lived the hard teachings. I have to stay on the path that Jesus is on. You know, at Burger King, you can have it your way. When you go into, when you go into Starbucks, you can have it with or without anything, right? There's lots of world. When you go to a grocery store, there are 50 different kinds of corn chips if you're having tortillas, right? Um, you have choices. But the key is, in following Jesus, it's a decision, a decision to follow Jesus. It's not an option to just sort of sit down with a huge plate of different, different options of nice ways to perceive Jesus. We're either going to follow the path that he's on and take the hard stuff with it, or we're going to walk away. Now, the interesting thing is, all the people that walked away from Jesus, Jesus made no judgment on them. He said, this is where I'm going, and you have to follow. And, and when they left, he didn't turn around and say, didn't chastise them or belittle them in any way. That was their decision. It's your decision. But I know I look at this stuff, and I have to make, every day I have to make the decision to stay on this path. I have to make that decision with every interaction that I have and conversation that I have with a human being. Am I going to be like Jesus, or am I going, am I going to be selfish in the way that I treat this person? And I've come to this conclusion also, it's never comfortable. It's never comfortable. It's never going to be comfortable to be like Jesus. I will never escape the issue of having to take up my cross daily because that's what he told us to do. Yeah. You know, if he said, well, you only have to take your cross up for the next seven days and then it'll be awesome from there. He just said, you're going to have to take it up daily. And the presumption is that means like until when? Until there's no more days to take it up. Yeah. This is the truth of Christ at its most basic level. Yeah. And we, ha we just have to buy into it. Now, do I do this perfect? I don't want to hold myself up as, as having solved all the mystery of this, right? Or doing this perfectly in every situation. I don't. But I know that this is what I need to be striving for. And you know, I hear, the, I hear people sometimes say, well, Jesus, isn't Jesus all about love? Can't we just love each other? Why does Jesus make it so hard on people and saying hard things? It's not very loving to say hard things to people, right? And, you know, I thought a lot about this, and indeed, I, I believe the Bible teaches that love is central to who we are. Yeah. But the love that is central to who we are is the love of Christ. And just as many, there are just as many opinions about what love is in this world as there are about what, who Jesus is. Yeah. And I need to make sure if I'm going to say all I need to do, all I need is love, that the love I'm talking about is the love of Christ. You know, I'd encourage you to read through 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, where Paul basically, I mean, John basically says, God is love. And he explains it in great depth. We're not going to read it today. But God is love. 
Now, Jesus is God, so that means Jesus is love, which means that everything Jesus did, the way he treated people, the way he expected things of people, was, all, was beloved. It is the kind of love that we need to have with the people around us, right? We need to have enough love to not stop where Jesus said, you're the, you're the Holy One, where Peter said, you're the Christ of God. Amen. Jesus goes on, and it gets harder. The epitome of love is exemplified in the life of Jesus. The way Jesus taught and treated people was love personified. But I have to stick with this. There's no other legitimate example. There's no other book you can read on love written by a human being. A lot of them attest to this. But the truth is, Jesus is the example. He's got to stay central to us. I need to love the way Jesus loved. There's no other path. You know, I can find elements of love, you know, in lots of different people. Because God is love and people striving to be like, striving to be like God will be loving to the extent that they can be. But ultimately, if I'm going to buy into the, the love as the end all and be all, it's got to be Jesus' love. He's got to be the example. So look over in John chapter 14 with me. Let me show you, let me, I'm going to throw out some verses here in the context of 13, 14, 15 of John where, uh, you know, Jesus is at the Last Supper and he's finally pulling it all together for his disciples. He's making, he's declaring things that maybe they weren't so clear on the concept up until this point. And he's making it real for them as he's about to be crucified. And he says in verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now he goes on to say some other things, but he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. You'll do things the way I do it. You'll do things the way I explain that it has to be done. In the same passage, verse, down in verse 21, he says this, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I, um, 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Okay, in other words, the measure, the measure of love is, is, are we being obedient to Jesus' commands? Okay, that's, that's biblical love. That's not the love of like, I really like this person. He does some things I can't stand and I'm not going to talk to him because I'm afraid of his reaction to me. I just want to be a good friend. Yeah. Jesus says love is when we are obeying God. Look in verse uh, 23. Now, 23. Um, wait a minute. Yeah, 23 and 24. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not from my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus is not only claiming that we have to love him, but that his words, he's not just making them up either. This was straight from God, who's been speaking to him and telling him, this is the kind of love we need to have in the world. Look over in chapter 15, in verse 9. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So the point is this, Jesus in the space of like two chapters and the most, probably the most important time he spent with his disciples at the Last Supper, four times at least, he makes the point that the love I'm expecting, when we talk about all I need is love, the love I am expecting is exemplified here. It's biblical love, it's agape, it is not American love. It's not loving potato tots. It's not loving skiing. Nothing against tater tots and skiing. But that's not the love we're talking about. We're talking about the love that's exemplified by Jesus. Look over in Mark chapter 10. This is a more sort of vivid example. Starting in verse um, 17. As Jesus started on his way, I'll let you get there. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commands, do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it is for the, king, the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed. These are the guys who had been with Jesus all this time. They were, they were like, what? What are you talking about? But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go into the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters, mother, father, children, or field for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You know, this man had been obeying all the commandments. And when he told Jesus, I've been doing all that since I was a boy, Jesus didn't go, no, you didn't. There's no way you could have been keeping all those commands. Just in his non-judgmental way, Jesus said, okay, let's, let's buy into that. I'll, I'll go with you on that. 
He probably knew that wasn't completely true, because I don't think any of us that could be said was completely true. <laughs> Certainly not true of me. Um, but what he does is he says, okay, good, that's great, but there's something else you need to do. And the guy goes, oh, what's that? Eternal life, it's gotta be worth, it's gotta be worth a lot. And Jesus says, yeah, take everything you have, sell it, give to the poor, and then you come and follow me. It's gonna take everything. And the guy goes, mm, I'll obey the commands, but I'm not ready to give up everything. I'll be a nice person, I'll be a good Jew, but I'm not willing to give up everything to follow you. And, uh, you know, I think that then Jesus turns around and points out, this is difficult. It's difficult for wealthy people. It's going to be difficult for wealthy people to give up everything because they're so attached to this world, right? And the disciples were like, well, then who can be saved? And uh, Jesus says, uh, and uh, he says, well, it's, this is possible with God. It's not possible to do it in an earthly way. Yeah. There's no way that we can possibly just do this without following Jesus, right? There's no way that you're going to be a good enough person, kind enough person, giving enough person, giving up enough of a person to do this without Jesus. It's, it's not possible. Yeah. He said, you're going to have to follow me. Man. You're going to have to walk the path that I'm walking. And it's going to cost me everything to do that. Um, this is really challenging. You know, am I, have I done this? Well, you know, some people may have said, Jesus, that wasn't very loving. And when the guy turned away, didn't, Jesus didn't go chasing after him saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's make this a little clearer. Maybe you, maybe you can still do this. Let's work it out. He knew that it was this man's choice. Now, there's a lot of people who believe that this young ruler was actually Mark who went away and finally came to terms with it and came back to worship and be with God. Um, you know, but I think this is a very important thing. Look over in Luke chapter 10. Okay. We're getting there. There's another um, story here. I want to show you this was not an isolated incident, right? In verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law. Okay, this is a guy, the experts in the laws, they basically have memorized the Old Testament, okay? So if you think about that, think about what kind of daunting thing that was. They knew everything. It's interesting when Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? He didn't say, who do you think that I am? He said, who are you willing to say that I am? So, but this guy knew everything. He probably thought everything through carefully. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Same question. Jesus says, well, you know the law. What does the law say? This was not a, this, what we're talking about here was not new to Jesus. It was in the Old Testament. The Jews were trying to follow this, right? How do you read it? He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I love Jesus' response. Way to go. Do that, 
and you'll have eternal life. Huh? Now, if you read on the story, the guy, it says that he wanted to justify himself. So he said, he started making something. Who's my neighbor? You ever played Who's My Neighbor? <laughs> I, I play it all the time in my mind. I see a command of Jesus and I go, mm, who's my neighbor? You know, it's like a talk show, a radio or, or host show on TV, right? You take a command of Jesus and you say, can I figure out a way to make it not say what it's actually saying? Yeah. And I can tell you this from lots of years, just, I just have to accept it and realize that I'm the one that's not living up to it. And it's not a problem with what Jesus is asking me to do. Yeah. Okay? Who is my neighbor? <clears throat> That's a game we play all the time. You can think about that a little bit. So, there's an important point here that I think needs to be made. And I, I say this, I've been in this fellowship for 42 years or whatever it is, right? I've spent a lot of time teaching, spent a lot of time thinking, studying the Bible with people. And one of the things I've learned over the years is if I don't expect people to respond to the teachings of Jesus, I'm doing them a disservice. I mean, Jesus clearly expected people to respond to him. He expected the rich young ruler to give up everything he had and follow Jesus. He expected the disciples, when he called them, to follow him. And some of them followed and some didn't. He expected them to be obedient. It was very clear in, those, in, that, in John chapter 14 and 15 when Jesus was talking to him that he expected them to, be, to love him and expected them to love in a way that God loves, which is the complete agape love and not loving fries at McDonald's, right? We get all weird about this word because we don't really stick to the biblical discussion. <clears throat> You know, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I can never, ever, ever apologize for expecting other claimed disciples to be obedient. You know, maybe you're sitting here thinking, is Fred really expecting me to do this? Yeah, I am. Because Jesus does. If I'm not expecting you to change, then I'm not being like Jesus. Now, I can be patient. Jesus was patient. He didn't go chasing people. He didn't chastise people. He didn't belittle them, ever. But he was patient, and he waited, and he waits for us still today. But I cannot be ex back off from the expectation that we'll change. Amen. I cannot back off from expecting people who claim to be disciples of Jesus to follow the Word of God. You know, we have nothing else. There are lots of things that people will say about Jesus, but the only authoritative record we have of what Jesus said comes out of the Bible. Everything else, everything else is either hearsay, it's, uh, it's false, it's a lie. You can name anything you want. But what the Bible says about Jesus is what the Jesus is who we're trying to follow, yeah. right? In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the, you know, Jesus is talking and he basically says, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, is going to get into the kingdom of heaven. 
but only those who obey. The obedient will enter. And we have to take that very seriously. We can't back off from that. We can't be thinking that it's okay to not hold to Jesus' teachings, to not be like Jesus in this way. So, I, as I look at these things in my own life, I realize it will never be convenient for me. It will never be, I'll never be comfortable with where Jesus expects me to be. I don't think he wants to make us comfortable. Yeah. You know, there's, I got a button one time from a sister. It says, it says, disturb the comforted, or disturb the comfortable, and comfort the disturbed. <laughs> and, you know, I think this is exemplary. I mean, we're, we're never going, they're never going to reach that nirvana point where we can just sit back and say, I got it. Yeah. Now, we can be confident in God's grace. So, I leave these scriptures with one, when I look at them all, I leave them with one haunting question. This is the question, uh, Wednesday night, we're gonna be meeting in our community groups, right? Is that right, this Wednesday? And um, the question is very simple. Who do I say that Jesus is? Amen. Who do I say that Jesus is? And try to really be honest with it. You know, you might be like the, the rich young ruler and not be quite ready to do it. You might be like the ones that said, you know, I've had enough of this. This teaching's just too hard. I'm out of here. Uh, be careful with that. But we can't not back away from the truth of what Jesus is saying and the nature of what he's saying here, that our love for God still has to be this question, who do I say? that Jesus is. Let's reflect on that for ourselves. We'll have time to talk about it in the community group. But we're going to be doing communion now. And I think communion is that wonderful time where we can celebrate together the idea that Jesus is who he said he was. Yeah. That he's going to do all the things that he said he's going to do. That he's, it's, and it, that it's worth. It's the hundreds that we look around, right? the hundreds of people that we get because we gave up something else, the family that we have because we gave up maybe some compromise, even some of our own earthly families to have what we have. So let's reflect on that with the community as we share in communion together. And the way we, we do that, we'll have a prayer, and then we'll go from the front rows, collect your communion, and come back and have a seat. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we are amazed at the way that you have provided clarity to us about who Jesus really is. We're thankful that we can come before you in his name and that you'll hear us. We're thankful that we have your spirit living in us because of the sacrifice of your son who sent your spirit to live in us and uh, intercede for us when we fail and we aren't everything you want us to be. We're thankful that we have this community that we celebrate in the church that helps us to stay on that path and encourages us to walk in the footsteps of your son Jesus. We pray today as we take this communion together that you'll bless the reflections of our mind on who we are and who you are, who Jesus was, and that we can reflect on the community that we have here as a result of being obedient to your son. Amen. We ask your blessing on all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.